Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking that you're going to love her latest selection? Uh, and inevitably, you just can't stand that book that she suggested. That's us. Oh boy. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. Oh, yeah. Uh, I enjoy books, personally, <laughs> me, Jessica. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, inviting magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction and fantasy rule. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep your elves in space operas. Mm-hmm. Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books. Each month, we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. <laughs> Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it. There was a, an emphasis on May there. Weird. <laughs> I guess we'll see. I guess we will. Do we want to do the spoiler alert at the start? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, heck yeah. You read it, lady. Okay, well, we read A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving, and this is the time for us to tell you that we're going to talk about the whole darn book, including the ending and any magical twists. No real magic, but maybe no. faith-based twists. There, yes. If you haven't yet read A Prayer for Owen Meany and you don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you've read it because I'm sure you're going to want to read it. Right? Well, I mean, that is a statement that you have made, yes. (laughs) Those are words that came out of your mouth that are now forever enshrined. Hmm. Okay. Before we talk about the author or the book or anything to do with this, I I have to tell you about this dream I had. I have to. And it has has to do with the book. Is it appropriate for people who, you know, don't know you very well? Yes. No, totally appropriate. Go. So I have frequent, very vivid dreams that I remember. Mm -hmm. And I woke up just swearing that I had heard a different title and that I read a different (laughs) book and that I came. So like I came in and I had read A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. Uh Uh-huh. And I had taken all my notes, Uh and I got in here, and you're like, that's not the book I told you to read. (laughs) So we did this podcast where I was like, well, she made me read this book, but apparently she didn't, and it was awful, but I didn't have to read it, and now I'm mad. (laughs) And you were like, well, here's the book I actually told us to read. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Guess I'm talking about it by myself. I love that dream. It was so vivid. I woke up, and I was like, what are we I got to go check my emails and it's like four in the morning. (laughs) So that's like the grown up version of the dream that I still have, which is that I'm going to school and it's the last day and I'm taking a final for a class that I never went to. Exactly. Yeah. Except that I'm taking a test for a class that I studied for, but that I didn't (laughs) sign up for. So and at, the, at that point, I was partway through the book, and I was like, should I stop reading? Like, wh- where do I go from here? So then I went and checked. Yes, indeed, this was the book. I felt much better about it. But I just, it was, it hurt me. Like, I, I woke up, and I was like, I've read, like, 200 pages. Did I not have to? It's a long book, too. It's a chunk. It is. So this one felt like a Jessica-length novel. Yes, agreed. But it was a Christine Selection. I know. 627 pages. I know. And I had been... So when we were discussing our our book last month, which was... Light from Uncommon Stars. Thank you. By Rekha Aoki. Yes. Um, I told you that I picked this book specifically to follow mm-hmm. A Light from Uncommon Stars um, because you may recall that I felt like that book left a lot of 
Loose Ends. Yes. And this book left no loose end to me. To me, it, it all tied oh, up I in disagree. an interesting. So okay, loose good. End. Good. I I look forward to talking to, okay. to you about that. But that was I read this book um, thirty years ago. Okay. It's the only time I've read it until I read it again for or I listened to it this time, which okay. was interesting because Owen's voice is so specific. Yes. So that was a very interesting thing to listen rather than read. Yeah. Um, and it had a huge impact on me the first time I listened to it, and I think it was partly because it was one of the first books that I read as an adult that it wasn't an assignment for school and I could, oh, you know, yeah. put it down if I didn't want. You were adulting. I was. Yes. And it it just, it had this just huge impact on me. And so I was prepared for that. And this time I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I want to be mad right now. I'm not. I'm honest. I'm being honest with I, you. I appreciate that. I'm being honest that I had a dream where I got halfway through the book and I was like, oh, no, I, I have to keep reading. Oh, no. No, I shouldn't say it like that. Well, before we get too far in, do you want to give a little synopsis just so people know what it's about? Holy smoke. A little synopsis of this book is kind of tough. Um, it is the <laughs> it is the story of Owen Meany, who is um, a very small um, boy who lives in New Hampshire with his best friend Johnny Wheelwright who is the author uh, the narrator and it's told in a first person narrative mm -hmm. from Johnny's perspective yes and I think the first line is I am a religious person because mm -hmm. of Owen Meany and it goes from there yep. um, or I have faith because of Owen Meany something I believe like that. in God because of Owen Meany okay yep. I was so close but yep. I just danced around all it. good derivations yes. um, so it talks about kind of small town uh, New Hampshire life in the 50s mm -hmm. and um, a lot about religion mm -hmm. and um, parenting mm -hmm. and lying. Mm -hmm. um, so you know ahead of time that Owen Meany dies. Mm -hmm. You don't know how or when it's going to happen, mm -mm. but Mystery. Owen does. Owen thinks he does. Yes. yes. And so um, that leads to John's faith or his crisis mm -hmm. of faith. So it's sort of interesting. Um, there are a, a lot of characters in this book. There definitely are. There are some central ones. Mm -hmm. Like this book is in kind of it goes back and forth in timeline, right? Yes. So the the main protagonist, John mm -hmm. or Johnny, mm -hmm. um, is writing or speaking this. He's in his forties. He's an expat. He lives in Canada now, and he's talking about how Owen, his childhood friend, impacted his life. Mm -hmm. And then you get, like, these chunks of time as it moves forward. So part of the first chunk of time is when it's in the 50s, and they're, like, I don't know. They're 10, 11, 10, 12. 12, somewhere in there. Yeah. And Owen hits a baseball that kills John's mom mm -hmm. um, on accident. Sure. And that kind of ignites Owen's faith mm -hmm. and his belief in predestiny, mm -hmm. which was a very interesting topic throughout the whole book. But then it continues on. It goes through their high school career. It goes into college a little bit. It goes a little bit, little bit yeah. past college. Um, and the timeline movement I thought was really interesting how the author, John Irving, kind of interspersed different pieces because it wasn't all st strictly like, you know, this happened and then that happened and this right. happened and then that happened. You you could kind of see how he was trying to build the story more by specifically interjecting little pieces into yeah. there. Um, so you touched a little bit on the fact that Owen, uh, he, at one point in the book, they call him a dwarf. I don't think he actually had dwarfism. Agreed. He was just very small. He was a very small man. He was less than five feet tall. And he was called Luminous at one point, luminous. which I thought was lovely. Yeah. Um, but he has a damaged 
someone's throat is larynx. Yeah. And so his voice is very high pitched mm-hmm. for a young man. And I and it will never change. And it will never change. And the author made a stylistic choice that I had a really hard time with. Yeah. And you read it the first time, yep. but then you listened to it. Yep. But the the way that it's written is all of his sentences are in all caps. Yep. So he's, he screams at you the whole book. He does. And the first sentence that you hear him speaking, see, you get to hear me turning pages in here, <laughs> is, put me down. Yep. He would say in a strangled, emphatic falsetto, cut it out. I don't want to do this anymore. Enough is enough. Put me down. Yep. So the first sentence you get from him, in all caps, makes you think, like, whoa, he's yelling. Yep. And then it just continues on. And it's such a hard, like, every time I would read it, I go, he is not yelling. But he is. He d- he, he is. He did say that it, he was always yelling yes. because his voice was so little. Yes. But he wasn't yelling because he was mad. No. And he wasn't yelling because he was trying to get your attention. He was just yelling because he had to. Yes. To speak. Yes. And that was, I think that was just a really interesting choice on the author's part because even when this was written in 76 no it was written actually it was published in 1989 89 i mean all caps means yelling absolutely yes yeah so i think the fact that he chose to do that was just a little weird yes yeah and and he definitely wanted to grate on yes your nerves and it i think it's effective Mm. whether or not it's too much and, yeah. and it turns you off is yeah. up to the reader slash listener. What was it like in the audio? Um, the the narrator did a nice job of having, well, first of all, he had an, a good New Hampshire accent. So that was good. Can you demonstrate? No, I cannot. Oh, no. Um, I can hear it and identify it hearing it, but I cannot reproduce it. Um, so he was a really good narrator. And then he did a good job of doing sort of a nasally grady mm-hmm. voice without making it so obnoxious that you just really couldn't listen to it. Okay. it so he differentiated it significantly, but not to the point where you're like, ah, you know, run yeah. away screaming. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of things in here that I actually did like. Okay. Um, Tell me one. There were a lot that I didn't. Sure. But there were a lot that I did. <laughs> I liked the treatment of the Vietnam War in here. Yep. I liked the... So I was not alive right. when the Vietnam War was happening. I had family members who felt strongly on either sides Mm -hmm. of that particular conflict. And I had family that were enlisted during the Vietnam War. Um, And so I have my own feelings about that Mm -hmm. particular conflict. But I really appreciated that he took the time in his writing to give you characters that offered multiple perspectives Mm -hmm. on this. And I know that he felt one particular way because I've read articles afterwards about how he felt about the Vietnam War. But... When you read about Owen, who is specifically doing ROTC mm-hmm. so that he can get enlisted, even though he's less than five feet tall, right. so that he can go and fulfill what he thinks is his God-given destiny to die a heroic death in combat versus uh, Johnny, who <laughs> who has him. I can't remember which finger it was. It's his right index finger. Yeah, and nobody can see us, like, looking at our fingers right now. (laughs) Johnny, who has Owen help him cut off his finger. Well, it's Owen's idea. Owen says, come here. I I can get you out of the war. Yeah. They, you know, mutilate him Uh so that he doesn't have to go to war. He doesn't have a trigger finger, baby. There's nothing to do, right? (laughs) Right. And that, I think, microcosm of a story played out across our greater nation throughout that particular conflict. I thought that was a really deft way mm-hmm. to handle a, a very touchy subject for mm-hmm. some folks. It, I had forgotten how incredibly political the book was. Mm-hmm. I remembered 
that it had a lot of religion mm-hmm. in it. Um, and I was interested to learn um, the version of the audiobook that I listened to had a um, an interview with John Irving afterwards. Oh. And he says he's not a religious person. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if he was raised in a church and then decided that that did not conform to his worldview mm-hmm. or if he never was raised in a church. But if he was not raised in a church, he did a lot of research because there's a lot of scripture quoted. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, compare and contrast between um, Congregationalists and Episcopal- Episcopalians and um, hymns and all kinds of yeah. religious doctrine that comes forward in the book. Um, and and he wrote the book. I think this is pretty interesting to try to answer the question, what would it take to make me believe in God? That's fascinating. I missed that. Yeah, I, I, miss I that had as to his, have it pointed out. Yes, yes. Um, but but it would be something like this, where yes. somebody he knew very intimately had an experience like Owen's. Yeah. Um, well, and Owen's journey was really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a person who did not conform to societal norms. Right. He apparently before accidentally killing his friend's mother with a, a foul hit baseball didn't appear to have any... Um, religious conviction that he was like God's tool, right? Mm-hmm. It was only mm-hmm. after that. Right. And then he went on and he was in a play mm-hmm. and it was a um, Christmas story. Mm-hmm. Uh, a nativity scene. Yeah, that mm-hmm. one. And he felt like he saw his name and his date of death emblazoned on the tombstone. Right. And everything he did from that moment forward to, was to get him to that point. Yep. Like, how can I be the version of myself that's going to allow me to go out in a blaze of glory, being a hero, saving people, right. fulfilling my destiny? And he didn't really deviate from that. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of almost disdain, maybe a little bit less than that, for Johnny. Absolutely. I did not. He's a weak character. He was a wimp. Yep, He absolutely. just kind of went with like, okay, cut off my finger. Sure. Right. Um, you want to get into a relationship with my cousin cousin hester right fine sure whatever that i'm in love with yeah and always have been Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah fine whatever um even his backstory like he's an adult now Mm -hmm. he has never been an adult he's never been in a long-term relationship he's still a virgin yeah he's he's just like floating yep he's floating along on the current yep and owen at least did something he had conviction Mm -hmm. and i I don't know i had a hard time connect because Johnny is our protagonist. Like, he right. is telling the story. And I was reading about him and thinking, like, I just need you to be quiet. <laughs> because I don't... Which is hard for a narrator. <laughs> because I'm not connecting to what you're saying. Got I need it. I need to hear more about people who have, like, something. Right. And he didn't have anything. I, I think you're right. I mean, he's definitely the most frustrating mm-hmm. because he's so... He's just a... a He's a wimp. Yeah, you're he's so complacent. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but he was angry about a yes. lot of stuff, but he never took any action. And so that is frustrating. Don't you love those folks? No, I'm I don't. I'm mad. I'm going to sit in a corner and be mad about it. And brood it. about it and take no action. And I want you to know that I'm mad mm-hmm. about it. But, but I'm not going to do anything yeah. about it. I'm just going to stay mad. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I felt like a lot of the characters were really interesting and um, well-rounded. Like, mm-hmm. Dan Needham is Johnny's um, stepfather, yeah. and he is just the yeah. loveliest, like that the was a good bestest, addition. like person that could come into both his and Owen's lives. Uh-huh. When Owen's dad was just 
a goofball and yeah. Johnny ends up calling him stupid, you know, <laughs> so nobody respects him. No. But everybody respects Dan and Dan is just a rock and he's yeah. just a good ethical, moral person of integrity who is like this just good backbone. I don't know that we often boys. get stories where you're reading about step families yep. or step parents and you're like, that's that's good. That's a good person doing yes. a good thing. And you don't have to be related by someone with blood yep. in order to care about them and love them and want to take care of them and guide them. And so often the stories you get about step families are like, oh, look what went wrong. Or yes. this is how you treat your children, but not the stepchildren. Right. And you're right. He was a great character. And I think he helped balance out some of the other adult characters in the story. Yes. Like, you don't learn until much later on, almost at the very end, who Johnny's real dad is. Right. And, gosh, what a milk toast that one was, too. <laughs> his dad was the Reverend. Right. Little, ten, little, John. I don't remember Reverend. I didn't Merrill. Like him. Lewis Merrill. Well, I wasn't. Oh, Lewis. Well, that had the letter L in it. It did. Um, I didn't like him, so nope. obviously I did not retain his name. Right. But. He had one moment where he could have been seen to have a little bit of oomph behind him, but it was. Sure. You really had to look at it generously sure. to find that oomph. Yeah. So, like, between him and the mom who who died fairly early on in the story, and there just wasn't a lot of appropriate parental guidance. Totally agreed. Yeah. Although I found the mom really interesting. Tabitha yeah. Wheelwright, um, she gets pregnant as a young, unwed woman. Will not tell anyone who the dad is. And she just and she keeps going to the the place of all evil, which is Boston, um, <laughs> once a week by herself, which is scandalous of in course. the 50s. How dare you drive? Oh, no, takes the train. She oh, takes the train because the father is the man she met on the train. And that's all she'll give anybody. You're right. And she sticks to that conviction, which yeah. made her, I think, a very strong woman. Mm -hmm. She doesn't take any flack from anybody. Mm -hmm. She doesn't back down about it. She's proud of Johnny. She's happy that she has this baby. Good. And, you know, she lives her life accordingly. And her grandmother is, or no, her mother is um, <laughs> sort of horrified by it because she's like the... Scandalized. Yes. She's like an old New England yes. um, aristocrat. And, but I found, what I found really interesting was how, what a good person she appeared to be, she, Tabitha, mm -hmm. appeared to be sort of on the surface. But she was very comfortable lying to everyone she loved. Of course she was. Which is really interesting. People have facets. Yes. People have facets. I liked, so it has been more than a hot minute since I've read The Scarlet Letter. Uh -huh. Like, mm -hmm. let's say a hot hour. Sure. It's been a long time. But there <laughs> it's was... been a hot week for me. <laughs> <laughs> but there was uh, some correlation yeah. between her part of the storyline and The Scarlet Letter. Yeah. And then when I was doing my research for this episode, um, I have never read The Tindrum I by haven't either. Gross, right. But apparently our author, John Irving, like really liked this book and knew the author and formulated a lot of the story around that. His main character actually had the same OM initials, his own meaning. Yep, yep. I, I'm not going to go read the tin drum either. But I think it's it's often hard when authors are pulling so hard from one other piece of source material. Yeah. But because we've never read that, we didn't know anything about yeah, it. we didn't. We just accepted. <laughs> we just moved along. Yeah, sure. Great. Good for you. <laughs> Sounds nice. Happy you've read and enjoyed that. Yeah, there was there was definitely some interesting things in here. I... I liked your little shout out at the very beginning about, you know, there was not uh, magic in uh -huh. this book. This was mm -hmm. not a fantasy book, but it certainly touched on the idea that religion and faith and belief in predestiny mm -hmm. have that element to them of, like, you don't know how it works. 
You don't question why it's going to work. Right. You just believe in it. Well, that's what Owen always says is it's faith because you know it's there, but you can't see it. Yes, exactly. Also, that's magic. Weird. (laughs) Um, But the thing that I thought was um, maybe a little repetitious but appropriate was the shot. Right? Yes, yes. So, you know, Owen believes that he is going to do something amazing. He is going to save lives. He's going to go out in this heroic mm-hmm. whatever. And um, he also really likes sports, mm-hmm. which I thought was fascinating mm-hmm. for a little tiny guy. But, mm-hmm. you know, that was what he liked. And so he and Johnny are constantly practicing this this basketball move where Johnny picks him up so he can, like, dunk a ball. <laughs> and it was very, like, air bud in the right, moment. Right. But at the end, Johnny is at the airport and so is Owen and they end up using that move to save save a group of young Vietnamese children mm-hmm. that somebody threw a grenade at right. in the airport. Right. And so it wasn't that Owen went to Vietnam and saved lives. It's that he saved lives right here. And, you know, he s- saw through whatever religious conviction or faith, he saw that moment for himself. Right. And that's kind of magic, too. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was nice. I liked your little tie-in there. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so speaking of tie-ins, what did you think was still left? Because I thought, so I think for me, Irving did a really nice job of enough repetition where mm-hmm. you knew where he was, the highlights he was hitting, yeah. but not so much repetition that I was like, oh, my gosh, please stop saying those <laughs> words, which I sometimes, you know, yeah. I, I, I find that I say on this podcast frequently, I felt like I was beaten over the head. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a fine line between yeah. leading you and beating you. Yep. And I, for me, John Irving hit that line. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was, what did you think was left sort of unaddressed? Well, I, I want to know if Owen got what he wanted in the end. Like he oh. he died, right? Yeah. So yeah. he had the moments. He got both of his arms blown off yep. by this grenade. He bled out in the airport. I think they're in the bathroom. Yep. Um, and you know, they're having the service and people are saying, please bring him back to us. And I would have loved, like if this was a TV episode, Uh I would have loved to have seen Owen like in some fluffy clouds looking down, like giving us a thumbs up. Like these are good. You can't do thumbs up. No arms. Okay. They're phantom. They're phantom thumbs. Toes, whatever. (laughs) Some kind of digit is pointing upward. Um, I I don't know. I just, I would love to have seen like a happy ending for him. Ah. Uh, and I think part of this was a happy – well, not happy. It was the ending he anticipated. Yeah. And that's fine. Right. But it was not – it was so short and so abrupt, and mm. that was hard. Um, and that's just a little piece. I think the bigger loose end for me was Johnny. Oh, like, yeah. Okay, between the time when Owen died and you're up in Canada having done nothing – what did you do with all of that? If <laughs> if you believe so strongly that Owen is the reason that you believe in God, mm-hmm. that you have a faith now that is unshakable, what have you done with that? Right. And the answer seems to be nothing. Agreed. So that was that was the, the bigger loose end for me. And it was less of a loose end, I suppose, and more of a frustration. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I think yeah. that's a completely legitimate um, criticism. And I think that John Irving would agree too. Yeah, that that was his point. Yeah, that, exactly. Like, you can have, you can have a transformational mm-hmm. experience that doesn't actually transform you to mm-hmm. do, to taking any action. Well, it's like um, people who get in car accidents or mm-hmm. have to have surgery or have yeah. major life changes. You've got like a week or two where you're like, oh, my whole worldview has changed. Yep. I'm going to do something different right. or more or you know, whatever. Pick, right. Pick your thing there. 
And then like two weeks in, you're like, oh, I guess I've got 50 emails to answer today. I'm going <laughs> right. to I'm gonna hang out in front of my laptop. Right. <laughs> um, you know, transformation only takes place if you really want it to happen. Right. External forces are only going to get you so far. It has to be something you decide on. And and I think the the very bright contrast is Owen was transformed by seeing his Absolutely. birth and death dates yep. on this tombstone. Yep. And he grew up with his dad making tombstones because mm-hmm. he was lived in a – or. His dad was a, a, a granite courier. Courier. Um, courier? I don't know. Quarryist. Something. He ran a granite quarry. Correct. There we go. Um, <laughs> and, and and Owen actually ended up <clears throat> making his own tombstone. And the thing that I thought was kind of cool about it, and it goes to your point um, that he was sort of fighting to get into a war that so many people were trying to go mutilating themselves yep. to or leaving the country or taking these dramatic actions yep. to stay out of. Um he saw his full name is apparently Paul, which we only learn because of the tombstone. Yeah. Because he saw on the tombstone Paul Owen Meany, or uh, Second Lieutenant Paul Owen Meany, and he was just this kid, so he had no idea that he was actually going to be in the military. Yeah. So that was um, a driver for him. Yeah. I don't know that I needed the point towards the end where his dad said that he was conceived through immaculate conception. Yeah, that was super weird. Unnecessary. Yeah. Didn't add to anything. But it kind yeah. of explains the mom, where the mom is sort of catatonic and she's only staring out the window all I the guess. time. To me, it explained because the only words she really said were stop, stop, in this weird, weak voice. Yeah. And I think to me, it just, rightly or wrongly, I interpreted it as her guilt at lying mm-hmm. to Mr. Meany mm-hmm. that she had had sex with someone else. Sure. Um, and so she just couldn't handle that guilt anymore. I don't know. The book was so long, I don't know that I needed any <laughs> of that storyline, but fine. Sure. Overall, not the worst thing I've ever read. I, I certainly would not have picked it up on my own. Mm-hmm. I'm not, like, mad that you made me read it. Really? But I'm not happy either. Well, you're happy it's the book we agreed to talk about, am, right? Yes, I'm very happy okay, that's that good. I didn't have to go check out a different <laughs> book and start all over again. And I may have chosen next month's book specifically <laughs> in retaliation Uh-oh. for this one. No, it's going to be so good. You're going to love it. Question mark, period. My face is scrunched up. <laughs> Please tell me what I'm going to do. I went for a totally different thematic choice. Okay. So, right. So, like, my book last month was a, a little weird. Yes, agreed. And had lots of different competing kind of sci-fi storylines. Your book this month was much more uh, dense and <laughs> and kind of more of a literary choice, yes. right? Yes. So I <laughs> I went for like a mass market produced paperback. Nice. This go round. It is a futuristic romance suspense book. It doesn't have dinosaurs in it, does it? I don't recall it having dinosaurs, but I suppose we'll just have to see. No, there's huh. no dinosaurs in this one. Hmm. So it is. Um, Think about Lady Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. On a different planet. Nope, you lost me there. With aliens. Yeah. And romance. Huh. It's so good. You're gonna love it. It's so good. Okay. Anyways, I can't wait. You you are correct. That is the right words. Just change your tone. And we'll be all set. <laughs> so it is called After Dark by Jane Castle, which is a pen name for Jane Ann Krentz, who is a very prolific author. Yes, she is. I wanted something just a little bit lighter. Cool. This one, I, I, maybe 300 pages in paperback format. Okay. So we're you're just going right to whip on through, mm-hmm. and we're going to get through, and you're going to say, Jessica, please tell me there's more books in the series. And I'm going to say, you are so in luck. There's like a dozen. <laughs> 
I can't wait. <laughs> that is correct. I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on your Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where they came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So join us next month when we will be discussing After Dark by Jane Castle. Thank you and keep on reading. Thank you.